Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of the LeedsCon podcast. I'm Ian McRae, and I head up content here at LeedsCon. It's a very busy and exciting time for the uh, for the team. We have our consent summit uh, just around the corner, October 25th and the 26th at the Gaylord National Resort uh, in Washington, D.C. If you haven't uh, made plans yet to join us, please take a moment to do so now. Uh, if you're curious about uh, learning more around uh, consent marketing, uh, the future of legislation uh, and regulation and compliance in this space, uh, as well as some innovative tactics to how to evolve your marketing program uh, to stay on uh, top of this changing landscape, uh, please plan on joining us. Uh, but today, we're thrilled to be joined by Raja, Raja Manar, uh, who is the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer and President of Healthcare at MasterCard. Uh, at MasterCard, Raja is responsible uh, for successfully leading the company's marketing evolution, including the development of its priceless experiential platform. Uh, pioneering MasterCard's move to become a symbol brand and launching its breakthrough Sonic brand platform. Uh, recognized as uh, the best in the world, uh, Raja is also an accomplished transformative global executive and Wall Street Journal uh, best-selling author. Uh, Raja's groundbreaking theories uh, and innovative strategies are documented in his first book, Quantum Marketing, Mastering uh, the New Marketing Mindset for Tomorrow's Consumers. A uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller and recipient of the Stevie and International Book Awards, uh, Quantum Marketing is hailed as a must-read for any marketer who wants to build brands uh, that stand the test of time in the post-digital age. Uh, Raja, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me on your show, Ian. Really appreciate it and very delighted to be here. Thank you. And we have we have quite a bit of ground to cover, so we're going to jump right to it. Uh, okay. when, we talk about, when we talk about con uh, consumer privacy, we sometimes start those discussions uh, with what the marketing and advertising industries uh, want or needs. Uh, as the president of the World Federation uh, of Advertisers, you have been an advocate of putting consumer needs first uh, when it comes to data privacy. Uh, so what has the WFA learned uh, about what consumers really want? See, first and foremost, before we behave as marketing people, we should put ourselves in the shoes of the consumers and see how would we want to be treated? How would we want our privacy to be respected? How do we want our data to be collected or used with our knowledge, with our consent, and so on and so forth? And I think... If we put that perspective sharply in mind, I think we'll be much better marketers, truly keeping consumers front and center of this entire effort. Uh, like for example, you know, uh, when you look at most of the companies today, when you have to sign up for their app, their app or some kind of a functionality, there's a terms and conditions which runs some God knows how many pages long. Everyone knows that nobody is going to read it. It's not meant for the normal human beings, but we just shove it in from the faces of the consumers and expect them to sign it. And if they don't sign it, they don't have access to the content. And if they sign it, they don't know what they are signing themselves up for or what they're actually giving control to the other party, which is very unfair. So this is like exploiting a vulnerability of the consumers. So I think it's the first and foremost, the key thing is, to have the philosophy correct, to be 100%, not just be legalistic and legal, but to actually be human and be responsible. Yeah, absolutely. 
that's uh, that's good insights. Um, in a recent interview with the uh, the drum uh, in regards to data privacy uh, and the metaverse, you noted that the next three to five years might be a bit chaotic. Uh, can you talk a little to that and what marketers uh, might be in for in the years ahead? Yeah, so I'll break it down into multiple parts, right? The first part is today we already have a lot of data collection that is going on. Yeah. Unfortunately, many of the companies collect data a lot more than what they need. And they really should not be collecting the data in the first place because there is no real palpable need that is connected to their business activities that they have to get it. So why do they want to collect it? So that's the first thing. The second aspect is once they collect the data, do they know how to preserve the data, protect the data appropriately? Now you are seeing so many data hacks that are happening all the time. And when there is a data breach, and I'll give you a personal example. You know, I went to a hospital for some procedure five years back or so, and I get an email from that hospital after five years, right? Saying that, oh, we are sorry to inform you that we had a data breach and you happen to be a part of the data. And what do you lose? You lose your social security number, your name, your date of birth, your address, literally everything that is, uh, it's a treasure trove for somebody who is getting into this aspect of identity theft. And it, I feel very you know, violated. I said, this is not how it should be. Oh, yeah. The second part of it is when those people, uh, you know, uh, they are experiencing data breach, they should do introspection. Say that, did we really collect all the data that we needed? Or did, were we greedy and said, maybe this data, this uh, field of data will be useful at some future point in time. So let me gather, gather that also. Secondly, how much of investment they are making to protect their databases? Are they being smart about it? Are they distributed enough? Are like, you know, in the sense that if one hacker hacks into one server, will they get hold of everything? Or you're distributing into fragments and able to, through technology, regroup them only as and when needed? Are you codifying it adequately? Are encrypting it adequately? So these are the questions that you have to ask, and uh, which is very aggravating. And in order to sort of rub salt into the wound, they say, oh, we are giving you a credit monitoring service which costs probably $5 a month for the next 12 months. So that, that means we are being very good to you. That, that is like you know, ridiculous what they are doing is. So this is one part of it. Uh, and this is something which is already happening today. Yeah. Now the governments are acutely aware of this situation and therefore you have got GDPR that got formulated in Europe and you have got California Consumer Protection Act, ha Protection Act happening here in the US. And then there are a lot of other entities, both here in the US and Europe and other parts of the world, which are trying to formulate their own regulations. Now the regulations, that's another interesting thing, which is the intent is absolutely right. And I 100% support what Tim uh, Cook has once actually mentioned, I believe at some conference in Brussels, that privacy is a fundamental human right. And I totally agree with that. Now, in order to preserve that, the regulation should not forget the pragmatic aspects. Is it really practical to do it? Can a marketer genuinely adhere to these things? Or uh, will they be sort of handicapped? If they feel handicapped, they will try to beat around it. That's not how it should be. So I think the regulation itself is going through an evolutionary thinking, which is good. So that's number two. The third thing is, 
why I say it is in chaos at this point in the entire space is there is a slew of new technologies that are coming at us. So you have got the internet of things, the wearables, the blockchains, cryptocurrencies, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality. Now, particularly when you take these kind of devices uh, and led technologies, the devices are capturing your data, some element of your data. They're gathering all this and putting it somewhere in the cloud. So which means your data now is going to be so much more prevalent around. At one level, to get the right service, to get the right information, to get the most relevance of what is being talked to me, et cetera, it's very important that data is used and that data be given. But then when there is this proliferation of data, how are we making sure that the consumer is still being protected appropriately? Now, I'll give you, I have seen examples of toothbrushes now which have got data collection capabilities because they're connected toothbrushes. They're connected auto, uh, what they call coffee makers. They're connected commodes. Now, when you have every device is connected, that connection is basically, uh, it means that they are monitoring, which is good because they need to know which part of your mouth you are brushing properly, which one you are leaving out, are you pressing too much of pressure? All these things are very useful to me as a consumer, but the data is also available elsewhere for something else. How do you make sure that the data is either deleted or it is not sold or it is used only in the right context, et cetera, is one part of it. And when there are you know, all these items that we are surrounded by every day, they are all collecting data. It, it, it's actually in a, little, in a sense, it is a little scary prospect as to how much data is available about you as an individual and what is going to be done about it and what kind of regulation will be there to make sure that the consumer is protected. So this, therefore I say this slew of technologies is only going to aggravate the problem. And as things stabilize, as people and marketers and regulators get their heads around uh, this entire ecosystem, till that time, it's going to be a little chaotic. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned Tim Cook and of course, Apple being one of the most admired brands in this space in terms of what they do uh, with, with data uh, privacy and encryption. Uh, they've they've moved to kind of make that a, a focal point of, uh, or at least a prong in their marketing campaign, uh, the uh, the protection of uh, consumer data. Do you see other brands, uh, particularly in the financial services space uh, or or elsewhere, uh, using that as a key tenant for uh, for their uh, for their own brands uh, in terms of their ability to uh, protect uh, consumer data? See, I think definitely brands are becoming more conscious. So if you tap into what matters to the consumers, the respective, there is an element of trust that builds and that's very invaluable because you know, if you look at it, this fifth paradigm of marketing as I call it, which is we are right now the fourth paradigm, marketing will completely be reimagined in the fifth paradigm with all these new technologies, all these new data capabilities and the cultural shifts which are happening, all these are going to alter marketing pretty significantly, pretty dramatically actually. So in this space, what happens is when technology is so advanced and sophisticated, and it is also accessible to everyone, whether you are a large company or a small company, what happens is there is a democratization of the field and things start looking very much like each other from across different companies. So in order to differentiate yourself, you need to work on soft attributes, not just the hard product features, but soft attributes like trust. Now, even today, there is a massive trust deficit. And you know, for example, there is an incident which happened 
for example, right? And one channel of TV has one take on that particular incident. The other channel has got a diametrically opposite take on the channel. Now, consumer is bewildered. They say, you know, do I believe these guys? Do I believe those guys? Do I believe them at all? So what do they do? Either they don't switch on the TV or people like me, for example, when I look at the American, uh, you know, for example, uh, the politics and all these things, I, I watch BBC.com. Yeah. or BBC, because they are, seem to be a little bit more neutral and balanced, or NPR, or whatever. Yeah. So what happens is there is a trust deficit. You know, and people feel that they're being taken for a ride, or they're being given misinformation, and so on. So in a world of trust deficit, earning trust is going to be a significant differentiator. Some of the more, uh, I would say, sophisticated companies or brands in this space are realizing it, or not only realizing, they're acting upon it. No, I, I think you know, there are multiple examples that I can give, uh, you know, and the company, uh, you know, uh, from our own perspective at MasterCard, we have actually got this whole thing saying it's privacy first. We don't collect personally identifiable information. What we look at is all aggregated and anonymized, etc. That's something which is uh, the first step in a long journey, but it's a meaningful first step. Now, when Google says that they're going to eliminate cookies, I, I would support that actually, because you know nobody has any business to track where all a given consumer is going on the web. And then, but then the key thing is the marketers need to have trust in Google to say, look, this is not a self-serving agenda for Google, but this is something which is truly consumer first. So there is a lot of you know, what I call uh, movement in this space, but I would say many brands are actually jumping on uh, into the space to try and do something about consumer data protection, consumer privacy, and so on. So, and that encourages me. And uh, now given my role at WFA, uh, I can confidently tell that a lot of companies uh, are actually jumping onto this. And in fact, at WFA, we even formed an alliance, it's called Global Alliance for Responsible Media, G-A-R-M. Uh, and there is an equivalent we have got, which is more sharply focused on privacy, with uh, ANA, which is the Association of National Advertisers out here in the uh, US, where the focus is in terms of consumer privacy. So there are industry-wide initiatives which have been uh, already started, and a lot of brands, big and small, they are joining the uh, coalition to make sure that they are part of this movement. Excellent. It, it is good to see uh, that uh, uh, that uh, the industry moving forward is a, a collectively um, and, and banding together to to. Uh, it's obviously top of mind with consumers, so it should be top of mind with the uh, with industry as well. Uh, I want to switch gears. You just had a book published uh, last year. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Uh, and it's uh, the book's called Quantum Marketing: Mastering the New Mindset for Tomorrow's Consumers. Uh, in the book, you outline how to understand the evolution of marketing and how uh, to be at the forefront of, uh, of change. Uh, the marketing industry is uh, in a particularly fluid time right now. Uh, what do you think the most relevant lesson uh, or bit of insight uh, or advice within quantum marketing uh, that you can share with uh, our Leadscom community today? I know that's quite, quite a a difficult task to distill that uh, in a in a five minute soundbite, but if you could, I will do my best. Right. So, firstly, there are three main messages in the book. The first message is, marketing is facing an existential threat as a function. 
It's not meant to be a sensationalist statement, but it is a fact. More than 70% of the CEOs who are surveyed in multiple surveys actually have said that they have zero confidence in their CMOs and in their marketing departments to drive business growth. Many CEOs are eliminating the role of CMOs because they don't believe they don't see any point in having that uh, role because they don't see it driving any growth. Uh, and these are not some obscure uh, companies which don't really do any marketing, but these are blue chip blue chip companies like, for example, Johnson and Johnson. They have eliminated the role of CMO. Then marketing is being fragmented. You know, in the good old days, Philip Kotler used to say there are four P's of marketing. Uh, product, price, place, and promotion. Today, of those four Ps, only one P is managed by marketing. Product is not in marketing in many companies. Pricing is not in marketing. And place, which is distribution, is not with marketing. And even in this sphere of uh, the promotion, which is in advertising, and uh, I know you, you're doing events, sponsorships, and promotions, etc. It's sort of being questioned as to whether money is being spent the right way, uh, and uh, you know uh, how do you prove the ROI? And marketers are not able to do it. No, and therefore CEOs are getting a new breed of C-suite executives, like chief growth officers, chief revenue officers, chief customer officers. And just if you pause and take a step back and see, if you take away growth, you take away customers, and you take away revenues. What else is left in marketing? Really, if you think about it, it's some, some fluffy surround system is what it is becoming. That's one part of it. We have to recognize uh, that there is this crisis and do something about it. That brings me to the second message, second uh, uh, theme of the book. As it is, if you look at the evolution of marketing, for the first two paradigms of marketing, the first one was based on product marketing. The second paradigm was based on emotional marketing. Marketers used to rule the roost. This is still mid 1990s. Mm. But when technology started coming in, when data started coming in, marketers have started losing ground because the traditional marketers were the right brain thinkers. So they are all about psychology, sociology, anthropology, design, aesthetics, and so on. Whereas the new world of marketing since mid 1990s was talking about internet, it's talking about mobile, it talks about social media, it talks about data analytics, ROI, precision targeting. All these things are very alien to a classical marketing thinking process. So now you need left brain thinkers so to be able to do this kind of thing. Now, in all the previous paradigm shifts, there were two technologies at a time that were enabling the paradigm shift or driving the paradigm shift. But today, it's not two technologies, but two dozen technologies that are coming at us, like starting from AI to blockchains to cryptocurrencies, 5G print, uh, telecom, 3D printing, autonomous driving vehicles. The list goes on and on and on. And when you have so many coming at us, and each one of them have got an implication to marketing, you need to understand some of the enabling technologies such as what are, how can blockchains be used, how can metaverse be used, cryptocurrencies, etc. This is one part of our augmented reality, virtual reality, and so on. The other thing is in terms of these are not enabling technologies, but these are enabling systems or enabling environments. Like, you know, how do you look at, for example, uh, autonomous vehicles? If autonomous vehicles are concerned, is consumer behavior going to change? Of course, it's going to change. What is going to be its impact on radio? because bulk of the radio listening is actually while you're driving, because in your driving, two of your senses, uh, you know, one sense of sight 
you had to focus on the road. You're only able to give your second sense, which is ear, to entertain yourself. But in a situation of autonomous vehicles, you you can really release both your senses to indulge in something else. You might want to just go and sleep, or you might watch a video, or you might be doing work and typing, typing away on your laptop or whatever. So how do you understand the consumer change in each one of these and understand? It is critical for marketers to understand and grasp the enabling technologies for sure and understand the changes in consumers' lifestyle by the other technologies which are there. You don't need to understand how exactly autonomous driving vehicles uh, work, for example, but you need to understand how it's going to impact lives. Whereas something like blockchain, something like augmented reality, you have to understand the technologies to be able to leverage them or artificial intelligence. You need to understand what it is. Now, if you don't do it, you will get obsolete very quickly. And you have to, and whole marketing, the way it is done, being done today has to be reimagined because already marketing in its current form is totally failing. So the new way of doing marketing is what I call as quantum marketing. Everything, whether it is from advertising or it is loyalty programs or it is uh, data analytics, consumer insights, every single aspect of marketing has to be reimagined. And that's what my book is. Uh, as far as quantum marketing is concerned, that's what I highlighted. This is a new method. The last message for me from, uh, from uh, to the marketers from the book is uh, you have to keep yourself up to date. You have to be an evangelist for marketing in your own companies. Ironically, many marketers don't know how to marketing how to market themselves or how to market their function in the rest of the organization. Now, you cannot just let uh, things happen to you as a marketer or as a marketing function, but you take charge and you market your function effectively to let your CEO, the C-suite executives, everyone know what a great function this is, how well it is performing, and connect the dots for them between your marketing actions and the business outcomes. That's when you will see there is a shift that will slowly start happening. So this, this is broadly what I have covered in this book and I kept it very conversational. I tried to demystify all these technologies and simplify them so that people will just get the gist of it so that they don't seem, uh, these concepts don't seem alien to them when you talk about blockchain. You know, blockchain is complex at one end, but there is a simple way of actually understanding and getting your head around it. That's what I tried to outline different technologies within my book. And I hope some of your readers, if not all of them, will get to read it. Excellent. Yes, I do highly recommend LeedsCon Community. Uh, check out that book available on Amazon where it has quite a bit of buzz. Uh, Raja, uh, I, I knew this hour was going to, or a half hour is going to fly by. Uh, I do want to thank you once more. Um, it's, it's very tough to uh, condense everything that you know in a 25-minute uh, conversation, but I want to express our gratitude uh, for your time today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Ian. Really appreciate giving me the opportunity to be on your show, and hopefully we'll be able to do it again sometime soon. Thank you very much. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Thank you.